This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. Folks, welcome back. You're in the workplace. I'm Peter Capelli. I'm Dan O'Mara. Professor of Management at the Wharton School here. And a share, I'm a shareholder at Ogletree Deacons and adjunct faculty here at the Wharton School. So one of the topics that we've talked about a lot on this show over the years, probably the most important one, is how do people get jobs? And this one in particular, we've talked about this fairly often, and this is how do young people get into jobs, which is trickier. You know, if you look at the unemployment rate in the U.S., 3.7%. But if you look at the unemployment rate for even new college graduates, it's 5.3%, something like that. If you look at the unemployment rate for young people in cities like Philadelphia who are not college graduates, it jumps, you know, into like 20% or something. And this is a common problem around the U.S. So we got problems with the job market uh, that are not even, right? It's not a great job market for everybody, and particularly for kids who are without a college education and kids who live in communities that don't have a lot of jobs and have parents and family members who are not well-connected to places where they can find them jobs. They really, really struggle. And we're going to find out a little bit about a place that's made some real success in this area. And with us to talk about this is Keith Blanchard, who's the president and CEO of the Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Memphis. Keith, welcome. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Uh, And Keith, my uh, wife's family from Memphis. I got married in Memphis, strong ties to Memphis, all that stuff. So know a little bit about it, but tell us about the context here. Tell us about the, maybe just a little bit first about Boys and Girls Clubs. What do you guys do? Um, we do a lot of different things, and, and they, they vary a little bit across the country. But basically, we serve uh, children typically from from six to eighteen in a variety of different areas. But our three core areas are academic success, good character, and citizenship, and healthy lifestyle. So we run a variety of programs that address those three things. But in recent years, you're right. I think one of the one of the things that Boys and Girls Clubs of America and other clubs around the country have realized is the importance of career readiness and, and workforce development. Mm-hmm. And almost 15 years ago in Memphis, we, we piloted a program here that really addressed that. And we started looking at, you know, what was the, where, where were the shortages in Memphis? What were the primary, you know, most important employers? And how could we fill that gap? And so we've, over time, really tweaked and developed a program that's become a a model for the country, and we're very. It's had a lot of success here, but it. You're, if you as you mentioned, you know Memphis, there are a lot of challenges, and we mm-hmm. have our our share. But we think that this is one of one solution um, to helping solve that that crisis in the workforce. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's talk about this a, a, a little bit, Keith, and what things look like in Memphis. And uh, just a quick anecdote on this: as I recall, boys clubs were a separate group and girls clubs were a separate group, right? And they Correct. were brought together a while ago. My my father was uh, quite active supporting the boys club in Utica, New York. I remember going to it, remembering a lot about that. And in those days, it was more sort of an after school sort of place uh, right. for things, right? And tell us a little bit about, I mean, this may be obvious to some people, but not to others. The population that you serve 
If those kids wanted to get a job, what do they face? What's the problem if you're not there to help them? What's it look like? I think there's a, there's a variety of problems, but you, you touched on a little bit earlier. I heard you mention really it's, it's social capital and the lack of exposure to things. We, a lot of the things that, that we take for granted when we were growing up and that our kids have access to and a pathway towards a job, a lot of our kids that live in, you know, in some of our, our more challenging communities and, and, you know, whether they have both parents at home or many times they're being raised by a grandmother, they just don't have access to the social capital that we need to, to get them started on the right career path. Yeah. The other thing is just, you know, transportation is an issue. Exposure, you know, that old expression, you don't know what you don't know. A lot of kids have never been in a workplace environment, and so they don't know what that professional environment is like. So there's a myriad of challenges going back to academics, you know, challenges in school, things they've got going on in their personal life, poverty, gangs, all the things in their communities. All of those things equal a, a, a disadvantage when it comes to when they turn, you know, 16, 17 and start looking for that job. Yeah. And, and Keith, it's interesting for listeners to know that you maybe began or before this, you were a police officer, right? Yes, I was, I was a police officer in California for quite a few years. And, and part of one of my assignments when I was there was to take over our police activities league, our PAL program. So yep. That's kind of when I really first started working with teens and with youth primarily through athletics, but I got to know a lot of those kids. And, you know, this was at a time when there was a lot of gangs in our community. And, and I saw, you know, I got tired of arresting these same kids over and over and over again. And I saw them, you know, in their eyes and taking them to jail or to, or to jail. And, and I, I realized that a lot of them, when they had an opportunity, like through the PAL program or a Boys and Girls Club, who I admit initially um, began working as a partner with the police department in a Boys and Girls Club in California, but that really was um, an option for them, and they would. It was an, it was a way out, and mm-hmm. a lot of them took it and took advantage of it. And I decided at one point that that's what I wanted to do full time. Yeah, uh, just to uh, back up a little bit on the experience in this particular context, just to walk through this for folks. So, you know, one of the problems I think in these communities is there are no jobs there, right? I mean, there's no retail. Often, it's not like you could even get a weekend job or old-fashioned stocking in the grocery store. There's no grocery stores. There's, you know, no jobs. And transportation means, you know, people who live in suburbs, you know, your kids get driven to work and stuff, you know. And uh, if you don't have transportation, you can't get out to where the jobs are. So, you know, there's a lot of basic problems like that. When when you talk to these kids – uh, Keith, and if you think about the kids you see there versus the kids that you were not arresting in different communities, I mean, do they seem very different to you if you're just talking to them rather than arresting them? If you saw them in a in the boys' club, what's anything seem different about them or not really? No, not not really. I mean, a lot of them are just one bad decision decision away from, or or maybe just they didn't get caught, or maybe, yeah. and then mm-hmm. some kids just never, you know, never went that path. They had had somebody or something in their life that, that they that kept them from getting into trouble or going that way. But yep. I do think that they all have one thing in common is, is they, for the most part, you know, I, I've, I know that when I was in California, for example, we lived, you know, 30 minutes from the beach and we had kids that never saw the ocean. Yeah. And here we yeah. live, you know, I live right on the Mississippi River and I've got kids that have never seen the river and they live in Memphis. I mean, to me, that's, it's almost impossible to comprehend. But yeah. 
if you have not been exposed to something, you don't understand it. So mm-hmm. understanding the importance of dressing appropriately, showing up on time, you know, uh, all of those things that we all just assume people know, they don't know. And But what I have seen over time is that some of these kids become some of the best employer employees that a company could have. Mm-hmm. It just takes a little bit longer for them to get to that point. Yeah. Folks are talking with Keith Blanchard, who's the president and CEO of Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Memphis. And, uh, Keith, maybe we get you to talk a little bit now about the program. Okay, so what do you do? We talked about the problems these folks have and these kids have. And, you know, lots of places they just seem insurmountable. So what would you do? Well, we, we took a, we took one of our centers. Um, we have... We have 11 of them in town, and we have you know traditional boys and girls clubs that have the game room and the pool tables and all those types of things, ping pong table and classrooms. But we took one of our centers, which was a large 24,000-square-foot building, and we converted into a building that's strictly dedicated to career readiness and workforce development. We mm. don't do anything else but that. Um, so we have kids from all over the city that, that come to this particular center, and we start off by teaching them what we call essential skills. Some people call them soft skills, which is, you know, resume writing, interviewing techniques, how to dress for success, money management. All of those things go into to a pretty comprehensive program, and that's the start and the, the beginning, setting them off on the pathway, taking them to businesses around town, letting them spend a couple of days in a bank or at a hospital or at, or at FedEx or one of, one of our companies that we partner with. And then in the center itself, we have um, several different career tracks. So we have logistics, um, you know, teach them to, to, we have three different types of forklifts. So we teach them that. We teach hmm. them how to do inventory control and, you know, everything that we, we try to replicate basically a warehouse environment. Okay. And then we have another, another lab that's an automotive program. We realize that a lot of our kids didn't know how to maintain a car, didn't know how to purchase, a, you know, what to do when they did have money to purchase a car. So we started a program initially that would teach them, you know, what it costs to buy a car, how to maintain it, insurance, all the things that go with that, hmm. and then how to do basic things like change the oil, change the brakes. And then if they want to get into a, a mechanical field, that's a pathway to that. Um, we also have a, a IT program where we teach them basic computer programming, and then they can go into and get certifications for a higher level. Like, for example, they get their CompTIA fundamental certification, and they can work in tech support or they can work in repair. Okay. Mm. Um, that's mm-hmm. a fairly new program. Ah. We started welding a few years ago, and we had quite a few of our kids go through welding and been hired there. Really? And then our, our largest program is a culinary arts program where we have a full commercial kitchen and a big banquet hall where we can prepare our food, grow it, serve it in, our, in, our, in the banquet hall at event. The juice is built for us where we have tower gardens and we grow all of our own produce and use that in the culinary arts program. So mm. it's pretty comprehensive. We also have kids that are doing interns that aren't in those fields, like at hospitals and other things, and that's fairly new. That's something we developed this year. Okay. Let me ask uh, first about what students like. So if you think about maybe back to the life skills kind of things you're talking about, what do they like best? I mean, what do the kids say, yeah, this is really fun, and what do you think is the hardest thing for them to sit through? Um, I think initially they just don't understand why that's important. I mean, I've talked to employers all over the city, and they cannot find employees that can show up on time and pass a drug test. Yeah. And so you, you have to stress that that's critical and that's and you're going to be terminated. So what we, what we do at the center is we 
we treat it like a job. So you get paid a stipend to come there. Okay. But it's not just an hourly rate that you just receive. You have to um, – you get like a report card. So if you, if you show up on time, you do your homework, you behave in class, you know, and then you get you get a stipend the full amount. If you miss a day, you get less. And kids, they start to say, "Wait a minute, I, you know, why didn't I get the full amount? Well, you didn't come two days this week. That's right. why. Right. If this was a real job, they probably would have let you go." So we start kind of getting them used to that kind of corporate environment. And then we have guest speakers from all the you know local companies: AutoZone, FedEx, mm-hmm. IP, others that come in, First Tennessee Bank, all these different companies that come in and talk to them about what it takes to work here and how you get here. And I think one of the cool things that, that we we can do now is we have some very successful people that are like senior vice presidents at FedEx that grew up at our club. No kidding. And we had one yeah. come in the other day and teach a class on, on economics, and he said, I grew up two blocks from here. Uh-huh. You know, I, I was uh-huh. you a few years ago, uh-huh. and now look where I am. And yeah. so that's really a cool thing. So that's what I was going to ask you, and you just gave one answer to it, and that is how do you engage these employers? They're pretty busy. they got a bunch of other things to do. People are knocking on their door all the time. And it takes uh, – I mean, they're giving you some money, but even more importantly, they're giving you time, right, and access to your uh, – to their facilities and things. Right. How do you persuade them to do this? Uh, believe it or not, it's not hard because I think I think they have come to realize, and it doesn't take much for me to be able to ex- explain this, is they need us just as much, if not more, than we need them. These kids are their future workforce, and if they, they have a huge job shortage right now, they can't fill literally thousands of positions in town, and they're having to bring people in from outside, and it's not cost-effective. And we've got kids right here with the talent and the skills and the drive to do these things. We just need to connect. And and like I said earlier, it takes it might take a little bit longer to get there, but I think ultimately the investment is worth it, and I think they're starting to see that. Yeah. So uh, the labor market here was not so great just a few years ago. What were things like maybe four or five years ago? Were companies um, willing I, to help you then, or was it a pulling teeth to get them? No, no we've, I don't think we've ever really had a, a – a big challenge because in most of these areas that we've talked about, and, and we were very strategic when we picked the careers that we wanted to, to offer there, there's always been a shortage. Yeah. Um, and they've always yeah. had challenge filling those roles. And I think, you know, in, in some areas it might have been more difficult if we had focused on some different areas, but we knew from the very beginning that these were these were the strongest and the largest is empl- employers in Memphis, and they these right. they needed these type of, of kids. Yeah. You know, it's interesting uh, you say that. I remember years ago, so it was 2000, 2001, we did a survey here. We got the census to do it, U.S. Census, and it was right. about then the School to Work Opportunities Act, and some huge proportion of employers said then, very tight labor market, that they were engaged with a local school district in some way to try to help people make a transition. But the main reason they said they did it was civic responsibility. It wasn't, you know, that uh, we were trying to hunt for workers. I mean, that mattered some, but the main reason was civic responsibility. So, you know, you got to sort of make that uh, make that happen here. Uh, in terms of getting these folks jobs, so you get them trained up, is it uh, difficult for them to make the transition into real employment from your program into that? I think, you know, and quite honestly, yes, it, it is. It, that's, that's why I said I think it takes a little bit more of an investment and a, little, a lot more patience and understanding that 
the environment that they grow up in and the challenges and the, and the fact that they have not had, you know, all the things that a lot of kids do have growing up takes a little bit longer. But yeah. I don't think anybody's going to work any harder and going to and learn any faster. And I think we did do our kids, all of our kids, a disservice for years where we stress and focus so much on education and going to college and right. getting a degree and going to university. And we, and we abandoned and neglected all of these other things that we now need and see we have such a shortage for. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have kids still to this day who think the only, the only path to success, you know, is going to university and they just can't afford it and they graduate with huge debt and that type of thing. And yep. now they're starting to see, and I, I'm seeing a major shift in this country back towards, you know, more of a traditional and a more uh, diverse type of, of workforce. And mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing because I know, I know how hard the companies struggle to find people, and I know how many some of our kids are struggling to fit in and get into a university when they just can't afford it. Yeah. We have one young lady right now that's, you know, she's doing an internship, and they've already promised they're already going to pay for her college if she chooses to go to college, but she's already been offered a job because she's done such an incredible job. So wow. there are, I think, combinations and different pathways that they can – you know, maybe in combination with going to school or just a two-year school. Tennessee's one of the—I think it's the only state in the country where we have free community college here. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. unusual. I, I should have asked you this earlier, Keith. How old are these uh, are folks in your program? Well, in our in our traditional clubs, the kids go from six to eighteen, and then we have a workforce development like starter program in all of our clubs where as early as six years old, we start talking about jobs and bringing in guest speakers and a police officer and a doctor and huh. a lawyer and a uh-huh. fireman, all that. Yeah. But when they get to be 16, 17, then they can transition then to the full program. And if they want to, if they want to go to the technical training center, then they can transfer over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keith, it's a heck of a story and you're doing great work there. We should probably let you get back and do more of it. Thanks very much for being with us, Keith. Keith uh, Blanchard is the president and CEO of the Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Memphis. You know, I think um, uh, you can see some examples of this almost in every city. There's something sort of like this every big city. The problem seems to be to scale it up, right? And that is to try to get from a couple of hundred students to a thousand or so. And maybe we just need more Keith Blanchards, and maybe we just need more people who feel passionate. Uh, it's ironic you said that. I was going to close you on that note, too. That, right? Passion, nonprofit, there we mission. Go. There we go. Yeah. And we're gone. We'll see you guys again next week. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 